many of y'all feel that way right now? Boy, I, Brother Justin, thank you. I like a song where you don't have to, you don't have to wonder about who it's being sung to. Can I get an amen about that? And there's no doubt about that. Take your Bible tonight. Turn to James chapter 1. I hear some Christian songs, and I wonder, now, are they singing that to their girlfriend, or are they singing it to Jesus? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anyway, I like that. That was good. Amen. I want you to be in prayer. Um, our high school, our high schoolers at Faith Christian Academy, they are at the high school retreat down at Lake Waccamaw, and uh, the evangelist is Brother Tico Alonzo. And I want you to pray for them, that the Lord would speak to their heart, really challenge them in the next two days. They started this afternoon. They're going to be back Friday afternoon. So it's really only about 48 hours that they're away. And then in the morning, Donna, the junior high is going down there. And uh, I know y'all are pumped and excited. So you pray for the junior high as they go down. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know why, the, you know, hey, I'm just the pastor. I don't, I don't know why they didn't take them all together. But, hey, that's okay. Uh, I reckon you have, to, you have to get to a certain level before you can go for the whole time. <laughs> I reckon, I don't know. Do what? Okay, I shouldn't try to read my walk. I, I can't, when I don't wear my glasses in the pulpit, I can't tell what she's saying to me. So she could, I, she probably didn't intend for me to see that she was saying something and me to stop everything to ask her what she was saying. So I'm not going to ask you to repeat because I don't know. So I'm just going to, I want you to look at your Bible. That's what I want you to do tonight. We have the outline on the back of the prayer sheet if you would like to follow along. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. I may not preach you under conviction tonight. But I've studied myself under conviction. Does that make sense? <laughs> so I'm going to let the word do its work. Because I learned a long time ago, I really can't preach anybody under conviction. Because it's not a man's sermon that makes the difference anyway. It's the power of the word of God and the truth of God. And it's a good day in our life when we really understand that and remember that. Different, different preachers have different styles. You know, we all have our preferences on what kind of style of preaching we like. But I'm glad it's not about a man's style. It's about what the Bible says and the power of the word. And you can have a man that's just a flat-out entertainer but he doesn't have a dab of the power of God on him. And he can, tell, he can preach a skyscraper sermon. You know what that is? One story after another story after another story. All right, that's a skyscraper sermon. That might be more entertaining. But that's not where the power lies. You know that, right? Surely, surely our church knows that. The power lies in the truth of the Bible. So that's what we're going to look at. And that's what we've been looking at. And we've been in this study in the book of James. It's shoe leather Christianity because it is very, very practical. It's truths that we live out. Obviously, every truth of the Bible is to be lived out. 
but it covers in the book of James so many areas of our Christian life that I'm just going to be honest with you, we struggle with. And so last week we talked about being a doer, not a hearer only. He continues on in that same vein, though, at least he takes it not, not in an entirely different direction, but he just, he just uh, adds another layer of truth to what he has just got through saying. He began talking about, verse 19, verse 20, about our communication skills, and he, and he talked about how we hear, how we listen. And then he says that, listen, uh, God doesn't want us to be just hearers of the word because he talked about what we need to do to hear the word. Uh, and, and, and then he said, don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. And he talks about self-deception. If, if any man is just a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's deceived himself. So he continues on with this vein about deception. Have you ever met somebody that was deceived? It didn't matter what you tried to tell them. They they wouldn't believe you. They were sometimes even self-deceived. It's a very sad thing. And so he's about to show us and talk to us again about people that, that are deceived. And I want you to look in verse 26. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth, His own heart. Now stop right there. What he's saying is, and we're going to elaborate in just a moment. He says, if a person tells you or thinks if they seem that they're religious. If they think that they're they're accepted by God, right with God, if they're in right standing with God. But he says, "If, if they can't bridle But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. In other words, there's no sense in you saying how spiritual you are or me saying how spiritual I am if I can't control my tongue. If I can't control my mouth. He says that man's profession is totally useless. It's in vain. And then he says in verse 27, notice what he says. And he goes on, pure religion, undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So tonight, I want to talk to you on the subject in this message. And I'll go ahead and tell you, it's a three-parter. So if you get the whole thing, you've got to come back. For the rest of it, all right? But I could have tried to cram it in, but we'd be here too long, and you would I would have lost you a long time ago. And so so I I wanted I'm gonna break it down in bite sizes. All right, that's how you eat an elephant anyway, one bite at a time. So we're gonna take this one bite at a time. And he gives us in these two verses three characteristics of what he says here, pure religion. I'm gonna change it and just say real religion. It's the same thing. Real, legit, bona fide spirituality. What does that look like? He gives us a synopsis. 
And it's interesting with each three, all three of these things that he tells us in these two verses, there are other passages in James where he deals with this. And we're going to look at some of them tonight, but we're going to cover the first one. Have you ever, you ever experienced something that was fake? You ever looked at a, a, a bowl of fruit? And I'm telling you, it shined, and it was so pretty. And I mean, you could almost, it looked so real, that you could almost smell the aroma of the fruit coming from the, from the bowl. And you're like, oh, that is such a pretty display of fruit. And I mean, you're like, man, it, it even stirred your appetite. It even made you want to go over and pick up the apple and wipe it off and take a bite out of it. And you might have even, you know, looked around to make sure that somebody wouldn't think you were a dodo brain or something. And you walked over and you picked up that piece of fruit thinking it might be real. And you're like, man, this is fake as all get out. It looked real. It was fake. Some of you work in the banking industry, the financial industry. And you have dealt and you have held in your hand... Fake money, fake currency. Counterfeit. Looks real. Feels real. And a lot of people think it's real. It's fake. God wants no one to be deceived about their own spiritual life. And so he gives characteristics in these two verses of what real religion looks like. Real spirituality. And so it begins tonight, and we're, I'm just going to give you this first thought, this first point this evening. Truth number one, real religion involves self-control. And it's interesting, in verse 26, the area of self-control that he deals with. You see, the self-control being represented here deals specifically with our speech, our words, not our actions. This self-control that he's referring to in verse 26 is measured by our ability, here it is, to bridle our mouth, to bridle our tongue. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. In other words, he is equating, he's putting not being, not being able to bridle your tongue in the same category as self-deception. And he says, this man's religion is fake. This man's spirituality is not what he thinks it is, and it's not what he purports it to be. He can't have self-control over his tongue. Now you say, preacher, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yes, it is. If we were to be honest, and I hope you will be, most of us in this room struggle with sins of our speech and sins of the tongue maybe more so than any other sin that we struggle with. 
It's interesting the word seem there in verse 26. It literally means to be of the opinion of. It's referring to what somebody thinks about themselves. He says if a person thinks, seems in their own mind. They have this impression of themselves. Their self-impression is wrong. If they think they're spiritual, if they think they have this outward form of Christianity, all this outward show, all the outward trappings, but if they can't control their tongue, if they don't have self-control over what they say, he says they're self-deceived and their spirituality, their religion is in vain, he says. He says if any man seem to be religious, think with me just a moment about that word religious. It's used only here in the New Testament. And it refers to somebody who's concerned with the outward aspects of religion and worship. Not the inward, the outward. James's use of this word religious was a reference to the Old Testament Judaism with all of its rites and regulations and rules and rituals. And he says they've got that in place. They have all the outward things and from a distance they look great and they look like everybody else and like they, they, everything's kosher with them but they can't control their speech. They can't control their mouth. He says they're self-deceived and their religion is in vain. And can I say this before we move on, friend? Remember, you may want to write this down. You may want to, uh, especially parents and teachers and leaders and grandparents who have influence over young people, listen carefully. Christianity is not a religion per se. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity at its bare form has nothing, are you listening to me, nothing to do with the outward ritual, regulation. No. That's cultish. That's man-centered. That's man-religion. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And anything other than that, we are self-deceived. If we're resting, trusting in anything besides your relationship with Jesus Christ, yes, in His Word, He gives us instructions that have Direct implications, not just with inward things, but with outward things. But hear me, friend. Subscribing to a checklist is not Christianity. It's not. It's man-made, man-centered religion. He says if you can't bridle your tongue, it literally means to... To lead by the bridle. You know what a bridle was and is. A bridle is a hoop. And in ancient times it was a hoop in the halter rope that passed around the lower jaw of a horse. Now I'm not a horseman. I've, I've, I've shared with y'all enough times my trepidation and apprehension about getting on a horse. All right, I've, I've been on a horse twice. And both times it was not a good event. And... Uh, so I've made it a policy in my life, if I can help it, I'm just going to stick with a car. Amen. I don't even want to get it on a motorcycle. All right? It reminds me too much of a horse. 
But he says a bridle is something that you use to control a horse. It's amazing. Amazing that a thousand pound beast can be controlled with that bridle and the bit. In fact, he talks about that in chapter 3. That you can control, you can control a ship with a rudder, you can control a horse with a bit and a bridle. And so he uses that analogy, it literally means to hold in check, to restrain. You know the average person speaks about 18,000 words a day. (laughs) You're like, I don't talk that much, I'm just, give or take a few, you know. Some of us talk less than that, some of us talk more than that. (laughs) And I'm not going to get into who talks more or anything like that, I'm just going to keep moving on, all right. You know that's enough in a day to fill 54 pages in a book. And in a year's time, that would amount to 66 different 300-page volumes. One-fifth of our life is spent talking. One writer, R.C.H. Linsky, said about this man being described here. Listen carefully. He said, this man is always voicing his own opinions and damaging, damaging people right and left like an unrestrained horse. seen somebody out of control with this like a horse that couldn't be bridled the rope broke the restraints were gone he said boy I've seen people act that way yes I have too and I've seen people talk that way and that's what he's talking about He's talking about those times in your life and mine when all of us, let's be honest, all of us are tempted to remove the bridle and remove the restraint. The tongue is the dipstick of the heart. And if the tongue isn't being controlled by God, it's a pretty good indicator that the heart isn't either. What's the first thing the doctor says, the nurse says now, or the... You know, when you go to the doctor, the first thing they say, besides get on the table, stick your tongue out. Uh, Why? (laughs) I really don't know. (laughs) No. (laughs) Because they enjoy looking at you when you, uh, (laughs) you know. No, because they can tell certain things. Can I tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34? Speaking to the Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites. Old generation of snakes. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Verse 37, he said, For by the words, by your words thou shalt be justified, and by your words thou shalt be condemned. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks, and you you talk. So let me ask you a question. When should you bridle your tongue? Is it important to bridle bridle the tongue? Yes or no? Hey, class, is it important to bridle the tongue? Then when should we? Well, let me tell you when. Good answer. Let Let me tell you when. I want you to take your Bible, please. Turn to Ephesians 4, please, would you? We're going to leave James and go to Ephesians. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is one of the most clear passages in all the Bible that addresses our speech. And he mentions things specifically, and I want all of us tonight to really listen to the Lord. Ephesians 4, look at verse 29, please. Let no corrupt, that means rotten. Let no corrupt or rotten communication. One writer said that in, in the original language, it even refers to something that's worthless. It has no value. Communication and words and speech that are just empty. It's, it's, it's not only rotten, uh, not only does it not have a negative effect, but it doesn't have a positive effect. And he said, let all that communication let no corrupt communication proceed or overflow out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. The word edifying there is a, is a word they use then in architecture. And it carries the idea of literally a construction, a project where you build something up. And that's the opposite of destruction or demolition. And can I tell you tonight that, that, that every single day and every time we choose to open our mouth, we're either grabbing the sledgehammer to tear something down or we're grabbing the hammer and the nail to build something up. That it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption, let all bitterness, that means verbal and emotional poison. If we could see tonight like God sees, and if somehow he could squeeze us, I wonder how much emotional and verbal poison would come out of us. That's bitterness. That's bitterness. And it's deeply rooted and it's buried. And it stays dormant for so long, I'm afraid. It's there. And you know when it comes out? It comes out right here. It comes out in our speech. He said, let all bitterness and wrath, that word means passion or breathing out. Hard breathing you ever seen somebody so emotionally worked up? They're just, and you're like, calm down. It comes out in our speech. And then he says anger. That's an intention on doing harm or hurting somebody. We may never ball up a fist and punch somebody. We may never pull out a gun and shoot somebody. You may never stab anybody. But how many times with the intention of our heart, with our words, we have wanted to hurt somebody. I want to hit you with my words. I want to sting. I want you to sting. I want, I want you to suffer with through my words. I want to hit you. And so we put on our verbal boxing gloves. Jab, jab. And then he uses a word, clamor, that means an outcry, where we lash out verbally. In evil speaking, that means vilification, you know what that means, slander. 
where we're tearing somebody down, we're tearing somebody up. Hurting them, hurting their character, hurting their reputation, demeaning them, disesteeming them in the eyes of somebody else. And it's the word that is used of blasphemy of God and man. Tear people down. He said, let it be put away from you. So when should you bridle your tongue? Number one, when it's not truth. When it's not truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. If it's not true, bridle your tongue. If it's not true, hush. If it's not 100%, 100% accurate, don't say it. You know what the Bible calls that? A lie. Right? So if it's not 100% accurate, don't say it. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Don't say it. Don't, don't say it just because so-and-so said it or it might be true, or you wonder, well, I'm not sure I'm supposed to repeat this or not, but I know it's fourth-hand information, then don't say it. Bridle your tongue when it's not true. Next, bridle your tongue when it's not necessary. Ephesians 4.29, he says that you may minister grace to the people listening to you while you talk. He's not talking to preachers. Gang, listen. He's not talking about your Sunday school lesson. He's talking about our everyday speech. And he says, if, 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 if it's not necessary, don't say it. Then he said, bridle your tongue when it's not helpful, or when it's not constructive. He said, it, 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 it needs to be good to the use of edification. Can I say this to you? Remember, though. Remember, there is a difference in critique and criticism. Listen. Now, think with me. I know it's Wednesday night, but let's think. Just because something is critiqued and examined doesn't mean that somebody's having a critical spirit. There is a difference. By the way, we ought to critique things in the spirit of excellence. Can I get an amen about that? But just because you examine something and evaluate something in light of truth or in light of reality, that doesn't mean that you have adopted the spirit of a critic. So what he's talking about here is don't have a critical spirit. Don't have a sour attitude. And, and look. You can either, listen, critique can be constructive while criticism can be very destructive. Well, what's the difference? Well, let me tell you, the difference in the two is the motive of the person. What's the motive? Are they wanting to find a problem? Are they wanting to tear something apart? Are they wanting to tear it down? Or are they just wanting to make it better? You see. 
And we need to pray as Christians and as sincere believers, God help me in wanting to improve something that, that, that I can evaluate it honestly and openly, but Lord help me not to have a critical spirit. And there's a difference there. So if it's not helpful, if it's not constructive, bridle your tongue. When it's not born in love, bridle your tongue. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. How many times have you said, well, I'll tell you what, I spoke the truth. Okay, great. Did you do it in love? Was it an overflow of love in your life? Was it born out of a motive that you're trying to help? And, man, you want to love on that person, and you want to restore that person, and you want to just reconcile. Was it born out of love? If it's not, then broadly your tongue. And then, when it's not timely, broadly your tongue. Proverbs 25, 11, listen carefully. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. <laughs> like a golden, delicious apple. That's literally what it's talking about. When someone's hungry. And they walk into a room, and it's been placed in a silver bowl. You can smell the aroma of the apple. How beautiful and appealing that is. And he says, a word fitly spoken or just in the right spot, in the right way. It ministers. But can I tell you something? There's a time and place to say stuff. And there's a time and a place not to. I'll never forget. I was in high school playing basketball. It was at a pivotal moment in the game. Please, lest I try to give you a false impression, Christian Powell was not good, but I, it was process of elimination. I did start most games because there wasn't anybody else. Okay, so I remember I got fouled. It was at a critical point in the game one time. I went to the free throw line. And it was, I mean, the game was close. And our manager, who didn't play ball, that's why he was the manager, by the way, he was over on the bench, and he was one of my best friends. And, he, man, he, he had a way of getting everybody pumped up. He'd, he'd get this big old towel and just wave it over his head like that, you know, before it was cool to do that. He'd throw water bottles at you when you came off the floor and stuff. Well, he was kind of a loud, boisterous, I, I love him. He's, still, he, 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 he's a pastor, so, he, you know, it was great. He's loud and boisterous. That's what, so he, he's like, I remember, I, I mean, I bounce, bounce, bounce. And I was nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. The gym was packed. It was our home game. And, I mean, I wasn't a good athlete. I mean, I was decent, you know, only got, like, no scholarship offers. But anyway, uh, so I was like, oh, man, I've got to make this shot. And I shot, and I missed it. And he's over here on the bench, and he hollers out, you missed it, boy. And I remember before the play, I mean, the play had already started back the other way because the other team got the rebound. And I missed it, and they got the rebound, and he said, you missed it, boy. And I looked over at him, I'm like, really? You know, you think, Einstein, won't you tell me something I don't know? And I'm like running back down the court like, hey, mouth, 
Why don't you hush? You know? That's not a word fitly spoken. Sometimes when you know something, just you don't have to say it. Right? You don't have to be like, well, I'll tell you one thing. Everybody knows you're one thing, okay? You know where this happens a lot? Marriage. You know, husbands, we're real bad at this. Well, I'll tell you what, honey. I'll tell you what, honey. I'll tell you, you really, she already knows, okay? You don't have to tell her that she made a mistake or made a big boo-boo. A word fitly spoken. Sometimes the best thing to do, gang, is just zip it. Don't say anything. When it's not calm and controlled, bridle your tongue. Proverbs 16, 32, he that's slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that rules his own spirit is better than him that takes the city. Is it calm, controlled? Proverbs 19, 11, the discretion of a man defers his anger. It's a glory, it's his glory to pass over a transgression. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you really have self-control, sometimes the best thing to do is just to pass over something. Just let it slide, let it go. You don't have to point it out to everybody. Let it go. I was right, preacher. I was right in everything I said. Yeah, your, your words might have been right. Your content might have been right. But your spirit is all fouled up, you see. So if it's not calm and controlled, bridle your tongue. When it's not directed, here we go. When it's not directed to the right person, bridle your tongue. What do you mean by that? If you ever have to start a sentence with, have you heard? You might want to bridle your tongue because that's probably not the right person you need to be talking to. If you ever start a sentence with, did you know? I can't tell you who told me, but then you might want to bridle your tongue. If it's to somebody who can't do diddly about the problem, bridle your tongue. Listen to what your Bible says. Proverbs 16, 28, a froward man sows strife. And a whisperer, stop right there, a whisperer. In another place, and it's the same Hebrew word, by the way, it's translated tale-bearer. It's somebody who carries tales and information from one person to another. Hey, hey, come here. Hey, have you, hey, have you heard? Hey, I can't, I can't say this loud, but. Bridle your tongue. Let me tell you what that is. That's gossip. 
that's gossip. If you're not sharing the information with the right person who can change something, hush! Or else it's gossip. Amen. Proverbs 26, 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no tail-bearing or whispering, the strife ceases. (laughs) Is it any wonder... That there's turmoil in families? Is it any wonder that there's turmoil in businesses? Is it any wonder that there's turmoil in local churches? Turmoil in classes? Turmoil in this area, in that area? Because even God's people don't have enough spiritual common sense to bridle their tongue. If it's not to the right person. If you're talking to somebody that can't do anything about it, be quiet. Proverbs 6, 19, these are things that are hated by God and are an abomination to Him. And He says, a false witness that speaks lies and he that soweth discord among brothers. I'll tell you what, you'd be mad too if you knew that. Do you know what happened 10 years ago? Come on, people. Stop that mess. In the name of Jesus, let's commit tonight that we're going to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bridle our tongues. Stop needless destruction. It's a sin. Before Almighty God. And I close with this. And I know y'all are glad. Here we go. When it's none of your business. Rattle your tongue. Proverbs 26, 17. He that passes by and meddleth with strife. Belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by the ears. Now, I just love how the Lord puts stuff in the Bible because everybody can get that visual illustration. You ever walk by a big dog and just grab the dog by the ears and just grabbed it and stared at it in the face? You're like, no, sir, I have not done that. (laughs) Duh, Christian. You know why? Because that dog is going to bite you in the face. (laughs) There's a man owned a dog, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm coming down the home stretch. A man owned a dog, and he, he, he grabbed the dog by the, by the nap one time, and the dog, it was his dog, and the dog turned on him. About bit him all over the face before he could get the dog to chill. And he told that to his buddy. He said, oh, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> no, don't call the SPCA, okay? He said, if I'd have been my dog, bit me like that, he said, I'd have shot him. And the man said, he said, that dog's like one of my youngins. He said, you wouldn't shoot your own youngin, would you? 
And the man said, if he'd have chewed my face off, I'd have been tempted to shoot him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to go grab a big dog by the ears and shake him and get in his face. <laughs> God said, then why are you going to walk around and try to get in somebody else's business? Because all you're asking for is trouble. Don't do that. Spurgeon said, this dude that's just been described here, he may expect to be bitten. <laughs> and he's not likely to get any good from it. He has done a very needless and absurd thing. And he will get nobody's thanks for his pains. Simon Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 15, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in another man's matters. It means somebody who spies out the affairs of somebody else. Ooh, 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 ooh. I noticed, I noticed the other day that so-and-so... Bridle your... God help me to bridle my tongue. If it's not true, if it's not constructive, if it's none of my business, if it's not to the right person, and if it's not in the right spirit, let's bridle our tongue. And all God's people said, Would you notice your prayer sheet as we close the service tonight?